now, time for Seafood News. You are listening to the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Seafood News Managing Editor Amanda Buckle. And I'm Ernerberry Market Reporter Lauren Castiglione. This episode is brought to you by Ernerberry Consulting. Ernerberry Consulting provides tailored solutions to identify growth opportunities within the fast-paced protein commodity sectors. Combining the expertise of our analytical team, our warehouse of proprietary and trusted data, and our unparalleled insight into market forecasting, Ernerberry Consulting will not only pinpoint developing global trends, but assist you in knowing exactly when and how to adopt them to maximize your return. Call 732-240-5330 for more information. Thanks, Lauren. In our top story, Jenna Coit has been named NOAA Fisheries Assistant Administrator. Coit directed the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management for over a decade, and according to NOAA Fisheries, she focused on improving natural resource conservation, promoting locally grown food, including seafood, and addressing the climate crisis. Coit also chaired Rhode Island's Seafood Marketing Collaborative and worked with stakeholders to promote supplying seafood locally and abroad. National Fisheries Institute President John Connolly is happy with the appointment, stating that during her tenure at the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management, she developed an ability to work with stakeholders to ensure seafood was harvested the right way, streamlined agency processes, and promoted seafood locally and abroad. Connolly said that the same approach is needed at the federal level and that the organization is looking forward to working with Janet Coit in her new role. Finger snaps. In other news, a decision regarding the price of summer shrimp has been set. On Wednesday, the Standing Fish Price Setting Panel announced that they selected the position of the Association of Seafood Producers. The Standing Fish Price Setting Panel held a hearing after FFAW and ASP failed to agree on a price. The two organizations ultimately submitted their prices to the panel to make a decision. FFAW submitted a price of $1.22 per pound, which they said accurately reflects the current market. ASP submitted a price of $1.10 per pound, which is what the price-setting panel selected. FFAW expressed their frustration with the decision in a press release, stating that the panel's decision ignores real and persuasive evidence that the cold water shrimp market is improving and that the market in September will be much stronger than the market of today. The organization argued that the vast majority of Newfoundland Labrador shrimp will be landed in June, July, and August and not exported until late summer and fall. Processors will benefit from the improved market later in the year, but harvesters will not. The announcement regarding the price came just a few days after Fisheries and Oceans Canada opened up the shrimp fishery in the Gulf of St. Lawrence for the Western Newfoundland Labrador fleet. Moving along, a Thai Union-owned seafood cannery located in the Songkla region of Thailand was forced to close on June 22nd following a COVID-19 outbreak. There were 263 cases of COVID reported at Songkla canning following a screening process. The company posted on Facebook that they would be closing the facility for a few days to clean and disinfect. According to reports, the positive cases were from at-risk groups linked to the cannery, including people in contact with confirmed COVID-19 patients, ferry workers, and contact at an Islamic center. This isn't the first time the Thai Union has had to battle a COVID-19 outbreak. In May 2020, the company was hit with an outbreak at its fish processing facility in Ghana, where 500 employees tested positive. Seafood News also covered a precautionary plant shutdown at Taiyun's European Seafood Investment Portugal plant after an employee tested positive. The company was forced to send home about 200 of their 850 employees at the facility during May of last year. In January, the company announced it would provide testing for 27,000 employees in Samutsakan, Thailand, after a COVID-19 outbreak at a seafood marketplace in late December 2020. 
In other news, the Subway tuna lawsuit drama continues. In January, a lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California alleging that the sandwich chain's tuna sandwich is, quote, made with anything but tuna. Independent lab tests that were reportedly taken from multiple Subway locations found that the tuna was a mixture of concoctions that do not constitute tuna, yet have been blended together by defendants to imitate the appearance of tuna. The two plaintiffs were hoping to get their claim certified as class action, which would open the case up to others in California who bought tuna from Subway after January 21st, 2017. Now, five months after the initial lawsuit, the plaintiffs have amended their class action complaint to question Subway's sustainability claims. The updated complaint reads that the defendants label and advertise the products as 100% tuna and additionally represent that the tuna in their products contains either skipjack and or yellowfin tuna from sustainably farmed fisheries. The complaint goes on to say that the product's labeling, marketing, and advertising is false and misleading. In reality, the products do not contain 100% skipjack and yellowtail tuna and do not consist of 100% tuna with respect to the fish portion of the products defendants represent as tuna. The lawsuit argues that consumers, including the plaintiffs, were misled into buying food items that partially or wholly lacked the ingredient and composition they reasonably thought they were purchasing. Subway commented on the lawsuit back in January, saying that there, quote, simply is no truth to the allegations. Subway has not issued a new response to the updated lawsuit, but in another turn of events, the New York Times conducted their own sample of Subway's tuna melts. The news outlet purchased 60 inches worth of Subway tuna sandwiches from three Los Angeles locations. The tuna was removed, frozen, and shipped to a commercial lab for testing. According to the results, Quote, no amplifiable tuna DNA was present in the sample, and so we obtained no amplification products from the DNA. Therefore, we cannot identify the species. The lab further clarified to the New York Times that there are two scenarios, one being that the product is so heavily processed that whatever we could pull out, we couldn't make an identification, or that there's just nothing there that's tuna. With that said, Inside Edition conducted their own investigation in February using tuna sandwiches from New York subway locations. That testing found that the sandwiches were made with real tuna. Um, and I think it's important to note that the, you know, the case is based out of California, so I'm not sure why Inside Edition was doing this in New York, but, <laughs> right. but that's, that's just their findings. So at least if you definitely want a real tuna sandwich, you can if you're in New York, you can definitely find one there. Um, but for some new product news, uh, Amaria, a Chilean-based health food company, is creating snacks out of seaweed, more specifically algae that is native to the Chilean coast. As the company's slogan says, they're looking for another way to seafood. <laughs> I love it. So the company saw an opportunity to create a product using the native seaweed along Chile's 4,000 miles of coastline. Their line of seaweed snacks includes seaweed sticks and seaweed chips, both of which come in a tasteful selection of olive oil, sesame, and spicy flavors. Three flavors you cannot go wrong with. I'm a very plain Jane when it comes to my snacks, but you can't, I've had yet to taste something with olive oil that I haven't liked. Just plain and simple. I like it. I'll take all three. Um, and to highlight just one more product, uh, Croy Arctic's salmon hot dogs are now in giant eagle stores. Um, Croy Arctic's hot dogs have been out for almost a year now, but now giant eagle shoppers will be able to get their hands on the delicious hot dog alternative. So the company's hot dogs have the natural buttery texture of salmon fillets with that snap of a traditional hot dog, uh, which is what attracted giant eagle seafood category buyer Sean Oliver to the product. 
He said, as a father, I'm always looking to improve the quality of food in our home. And the opportunity to provide my two young children with a hot dog rich in omega-3s was an easy decision. Imagine my surprise when they ate them better than the high-end beef hot dogs that they had eaten prior. We're carrying them in our stores to make them accessible to more families like ours. And I think, I mean, Lauren, that's one of the things we said after uh, we did a video where we tried one of our Watch Us Eat videos, um, as I'm yeah. sure our podcast listeners are well aware of. Um, so we tried Karoyo Arctic's uh, hot dogs and uh, salmon um, hamburgers, uh, hamburgers, salmon burgers. There's no ham in them. <laughs> it's just so easy to say hamburgers. But uh, that's one of the things we said is that like, our, like my daughter can't get enough hot dogs. Right. And so this was like a great alternative. You know, it's. It is. And my kids have eaten them and they have enjoyed them. Um, they knew that they were different than the regular hot dogs that we ate, but they gobbled them up just like just like regular hot dogs. So I was a happy parent, too. Definitely. Uh, so if you haven't checked them out yet and you're a giant eagle shopper, you can find Croy Arctic's hot dogs in four flavors. Original, original and cheese, jalapeno and cheese, and chili and cheese. And that about does it for us. Once again, this episode is brought to you by Erneberry Consulting. Call 732-240-5330 for more information. Bye-bye.